Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on uh, Stitcher app on your smartphone. PulpHockey.com, of course, also carries these podcasts. And uh, use the code Ferraro20 when you go to 2under.com, the number 2, U-N-D-R.com, the best men's underwear out there. Check them out, and a lot of NHL guys are wearing it and endorsing it. And uh, like I said, the best stuff around. An Amazon banner, you want to support the podcast, there's an Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com. Go there and make a purchase. We get a small slice and we can afford to uh keep it on going uh thanks for everybody for the feedback and for the uh downloads and everything else we appreciate it with me on the line a guy i've been uh, trying to we've been missing each other for a while i've been trying to get a hold of longtime color analyst of the dallas stars former nhl goaltender daryl ray what's up razor how are you yeah the schedule gets in the way i'm my apologies no hey we finally hooked up you're probably so pissed at ferraro for giving me your email (laughs) <laughs> um, not at all not but at uh all. that uh no thanks for doing this I, I appreciate it and the last thing you to talk about i want to touch on your career a little bit and uh, also to obviously the dallas stars and everything else that's been going on uh, i want to give you an ultimate compliment i guess i'll start off by kissing your ass i promise you i don't do this to everybody on the show but i live in vegas so i have the center eyes package when I'm choosing a broadcast to watch. I more often than not pick the stars feed um, on the on the broadcast because I really enjoy first uh, first with Ralph Strangis all those years and now Dave Strader. Um, in in an era, I feel like where a lot of home team broadcasts are pretty heavy homers, and I get it. I feel like you guys call it straight, I, especially you yourself. And uh, so, good job, man. I, I listen to it. Uh, I watch it that feed a lot. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, you don't you don't uh, get enough leeway to be pretty honest. I still I get accused more times of being a homer than I do of being well, completely honest. Yeah, by, you know, by you, people in other markets and that. But um, you know, I I don't I think fans are intelligent, right? And if you start just throwing this Panglossian view of the local team at them over and over again. I think you lose a little bit of weight with them, and mm-hmm. and uh, that's sort of been our mentality. I mean, if your if your team's winning like our team is this year, then uh, obviously it, it's not hard to be <laughs> right. positive yeah. and and flowery over and over again. But when your team's losing half the games they're playing, there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be mean spirited or anything. I just try to be honest. Uh, this is the reason why things aren't working out in my mind so yeah and i've stayed i've stayed employed while doing it which yeah. is a trick <laughs> right well look hey i get it like i i uh in my real life i cover the sport of motorcycle racing and my main employer is uh, they run a motorcycle series and i have to cover this series so i got to keep that in mind and, and you know yeah. i i know that but at the same time fair and honest criticism is is welcome and man it seems like daryl more and more some of these broadcasts i watch i'm just like come on guys Come on. Well, I'm, I'm with you. Like, they're, I mean, 
I won't name any, but there yeah, are, yeah, yeah, there are no. broadcasts out there that when I'm doing uh, pre-scout for my own games or whatever, I do it without the volume on just yeah. because. Um, and, and I think on the whole, broadcast, local broadcasts in our sport have, have improved greatly over what they were. Mm-hmm. They were really bad. I think they were really bad for a while. Uh, with very elementary views of things and a lot of railing against referees, and that was the reason their team yeah. wasn't winning. And But now you get more and more of these uh, local broadcasts that are pretty much owned by the team. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you get you know, you know get a lot of team-oriented uh, rose-colored glasses. And, um, you know, it's just the nature yeah. of, the, of the beast right now, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. I, you know, I'm a big Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and, and I watched your two broadcasts over the Leaf ones. Um, just be, well, partly partly because it was the they're in HD, and the Leaf ones are not. The Canadian broadcasts are not carried in HD. Right. But plus, I just I just enjoy listening to you and, and Dave Strader, and before that, Ralph uh, call games, and I'm just like, I'm just going to watch this. And uh, of course, the Mighty Maple Leafs are seem to be the only team that could take down. The Dallas Stars these days, but <laughs> that's true. They didn't beat the Leafs at all. I know. Um, hey, for you yourself, look, I don't know how long. How long were you with Ralph for? A uh, hundred years? I don't. It seemed like it, but at times it seemed like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I was. It was pretty much uh, two decades. Okay. Years. So how is the so switch that's... with Strader? How is that for you? Does it change anything for you? Does it? How does it go? Yeah, I, I mean, it's. Hey, it's it's always different. You. Like I, I said to some people, they were asking me the same question. I said, mm-hmm. well, you get to a point where there are negatives and positives when you've been pounding it out with, you know, the same people year in and year out, mm-hmm. that it, it can get it can get a little bit stale. But at the same time, uh, you know, you finish, you, you were able to finish one another's sentences, essentially. <laughs> right. You know, cause you, you know, he knew when I wanted to get in. Sure. I understood how he was going to do things and when to let him go. And, you know, so the type of things that that uh, I, I think you have to have in a in a good professional broadcast of a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's nice to freshen things up from time to time, too, mm-hmm. and have things a little different. I had the luxury throughout my time with Ralph to go and do games with Versus or uh, with Hockey Night in Canada yeah. a little bit with NBC. So, you, you know, I, it was a little bit of white spot to swap with that, <laughs> right. I guess. But, but it was, you know, people, people want different challenges after a while and, and he moved on and, and we, I, I think we lucked out uh, to the nth degree to get somebody of Dave's caliber to come in here. Yeah. And, and it's not, I'll tell you this though, it's, it's not like it's just seamless from day one. I, th- I don't think it would ever, if you were watching the game, you'd be like, well, it just seems to fit like a glove. And and yet there are, there are little nuances within being in a partnership where you got to learn what the other guy does, mm-hmm. needs, wants, and that. Uh, but it's, uh, for the most part, it's been, I think it's been pretty seamless with him and he's such a, a good pro. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, I had somebody, uh, I had one trainer walk by uh, the our broadcast going on in the hallway, mm-hmm. and he gave us uh, probably the greatest compliment you could get. And this was pretty early on. He said, "I stopped for a second, and I just listened, and it sounded like a national broadcast." And I was like, yeah. "Well, you couldn't have, you couldn't have said a nicer thing uh, to us." So yeah. thank you. And uh, Strader, I think he he's been calling games forever. ESPN two days, you know, he's been. Oh around. my god! Yeah. I think he goes back. 
I think he goes back to, to black and white, doesn't he? <laughs> Sports Channel. He's like, Remember I think, Sports it was, Channel? <laughs> I think it was Ben Scully and him that started the same year. I uh, know, so, exactly. Um, hey, uh, this, uh, this team this year, man, uh, besides turning on to hear you guys, I just turn them on anyways because yeah, they're fun. This is a good team. This is fun to watch. It's awesome. Yeah. 774 they, clip uh, right now, yeah. They. Uh, you know, on this, it's not just this year. Although the success is a lot higher, the rate of success than it has been the previous couple. But really, ever since Lindy Ruff was mm-hmm. hired here, and when Jim Nill made that deal to bring Tyler Sagan in, yeah, they they've been a club that you know they've learned some lessons and they continue to learn lessons. But it's the way they go about their business that uh, you know I think a lot of other players and probably other teams look at and say, God, I wish we could play that way. Uh, and, but, and I wish they would too, because, you know, it's a little risk reward. And I think hockey's at its best when there is a little more risk reward involved in it Mm -hmm. than just let's try not to lose. And there's tons of try not to lose in our game. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably why the stars stick out a little bit. And why I keep my eyes, toes, and fingers crossed that they're going to have success with this because it's a copycat league. Right. And I want to see more teams follow suit where they go after teams and try to win games rather than try not to lose them. Yeah, I hate I hate to be negative, Nelly, on, on the podcast, but it, it's tough right now to be a fan. I, it really is. I, I love the game. I've been watching it forever. Um, it, it's I, it's why I turn on Dallas Stars broadcast. It's why I turn on the Oilers. I want to see what they're doing, especially when McDavid right. was there. I just right. it's it's tough sometimes to watch these games. It really is. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. You know, we there's a lot of good. There's there's tons of course of yeah, good yeah yeah within the game. But at the same time, my concern when when we started to drift away from from uh, fighting a little bit, uh, and and just the the game seemed to have more patina to it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was just more within the game than skating and passing and and shot blocking. And right. one team scores three goals and the other team scores two or one or zero or zero. And right. night, you know, night after night of that. And, you know, teams get on the power play now two, maybe three times a night. So one power play a period. Not that I want it to turn into this, you know, massive special teams contest like it was the first year out of the lockout when there was a lot of scoring. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the concern again is that it it just turns into this where you can appreciate the skating, you can appreciate the speed and the skill of it. But at the same time, it, it, it feels like it's missing something, some ingredient within the game mm-hmm. from an entertainment standpoint. And and my thought from day one was, if we're going to go to this and you're going to do away with a lot of those character type players and, and you, know, you know, the old school, right. you can call it Neanderthalic or whatever you want, code of the game and that, if that's going to go away, if this is just going to be purely about skill and, and speed and, and that type of hockey, then the games better be 6-5, 7-5, 9 you know, where it goes back and forth and there are lead changes and, and plenty of opportunities within the game to celebrate. And my, my biggest fear was we'd, we'd turn it into what I witnessed at, at one point when I was playing in Europe, and we went over and we, we played an uh, exhibition game at Christmas time mm-hmm. in, in Sweden. And I'm t- I think at the end of the game the shots were eleven to nine, 
Jeez. Because they, because on the big on yeah. the big sheet, they would just, you know, if they didn't like what they saw, they'd just keep circling back. And and that was all about possession. Yeah. And I, I hear that word creeping more and more into our game now, where it's what were their possession numbers, and they needed to possess. And it, it's not it's not to that degree, obviously, right mm-hmm. now. But yeah. but it can happen. Yeah. And I mean it. It's paint drying when you watch it that way. So uh, I, I'm with you. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, maybe it's taking up too much of my mind right now. The way, <laughs> well, I the way you, it yeah. is and what I'd like it to be. But at the same time, I just think it can be better. Yeah, I follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you seem depressed at times. <laughs> um, retweeting different things. Uh, the yeah, I'm at the point where I, I was out with my wife during the seven-five uh, Oiler Ranger game, and I was so bombed. I'm like, oh, I really wish I was home watching that because it's so rare well, like, to get our, that. Our best, I, I think the most entertaining game that we had last season mm-hmm. was a loss. But it was that it was that nutty 7-5 game uh, against the Red Wings. Yep. And they lost it in overtime. And, I mean, there, was, there were goalie interference, non-calls, mm-hmm. and there was, you know, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that went, went on within the game. Stars blew two two-goal uh, two, two leads within the game. Yep. You know, that that's the stuff that, that I think makes a memory and is, to me, what the sport should be all about. More often, I know it can't be that way every night, yeah. but there should be more than just one of those in an 82-game schedule. That's all. You were on the 88 Oilers, so you can appreciate up-and-down hockey, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're... They could outscore some problems back then. Yeah, no doubt, right? Uh, I've had Ferraro on here and uh, McLennan and Van Beesbrook a couple of weeks ago, and I always ask them goaltending questions, and you're a former goaltender. goaltender. Um, Ray, without getting Ray, Ryan Miller pissed like Ray did, um, the size of the equipment, are you one of those guys? And, I mean, again, you played the position. Do we need to tighten up the pants, get rid of a cheater, uh, get the right kind of pads on guys? Is that stuff that you all be for, or, or is this something else that, that catches your mind to try to open this game up a little bit? Yeah, they, they need to do that again. I, mm-hmm. You know, again, the, the, the equipment has been, it's been lightened up to a degree now where they're not really that cumbersome in there. Mm-hmm. Like Beck, you know, I don't want to sound like the old guy, but I guess I am sort of the old guy now. Like, the gear weighed a lot. Yeah. Like, like when you wore a 38-inch pad like I did at one point, and then I trimmed it down and trimmed it down. But a 38-inch pad made out of felt, deer hair, and uh, some foam and leather right. weighed a lot. Like, it weighed a lot. And now that same size pad or bigger weighs nothing. It's like a wafer. So they have, they have the same movement. Mm-hmm. They, they're so much smarter with how their equipment works now that they're just block all they're using it to do is block net for the most part and they you know you hear this argument about how they're going to get hurt if the gear gets trimmed down no they're not <laughs> right yeah, last my my greatest statistic is this one last year in the NHL there was something like 67,000 uh saves by okay. goaltender there were 35,000 block shots jeez really huh like yeah 30 35,000 right. block shots. Right. By guys that, that wear little shin pads, uh, skates without the yeah. goaltender protection cowlings on them, no mask, no shoulder pads, no chest pads. Right. You know, right. Yeah. So, All so if, if there are guys willing to just stand in front of these guys shooting the puck with that gear on, which I think is nuts, yeah. then trimming the goaltending gear down a little bit is not going to 
all of a sudden fill up the infirmary. Wow, if you listen to them, yeah, if you listen to them. Well, they're they're always getting, (laughs) hey, they're they're always going to battle for, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I don't want to see them getting hurt either, you know. It's it's a little bit like like quarterbacks in football. You you know, they make all those rule changes because you don't want your star quarterback knocked out. It, It cripples your team. At the same time, I think that if you're just going to look at it and say, well, that'll fix it, we'll just trim them down again. It won't. They're too good. They're, they're, they're too big. Mm-hmm. They're, they're too good at what they do. They don't, just, they don't just try to make saves. They don't make saves. They block space. They play a system in there. Yeah. Because it's the most coached position in our sport. Like I, I said to somebody the other day, just, just look out there right now. How many goalies do you see on the ice? And they said two. Okay. How many defensemen are out there? Eight. How many forwards are out there? 13 or 15 or whatever. I right. go, okay, now start doing the ratio of coach to position. So you have a forward coach out there, so it's like maybe yeah. two of them. So it's two to 15, 15 or 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a defenseman, a former defenseman who's a coach out there, so that's one to eight. And then you have uh, your goalie coach is one to two. It's almost, it's almost one-to-one coaching at the position. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you couple all these things together and then you add in their uh, defensive systems that teams play now where there's no time or space for a guy with the puck to do something with it. And you end up with a ton of two to one, three to one, three to nothing games because there's just no ability to score goals anymore. Should we blame? Should we blame Reggie Limelin? Remember when he came out with those pads, and we all laughed a at them. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean a little bit. Yeah, that was the right. That was the beginning of it. I think Barrasso wore them too back in the yeah, day. Yeah. They, they were made of foam, right? And they were so much lighter. But but they've taken that to the next degree where the pad itself doesn't sit on the leg, mm-hmm. and when a goaltender goes down on his knees, it doesn't go underneath of them where an 11 inch pad turns into an eight or nine inch pad. Sure. It turns, it turns on their, on their leg. Yep. So they get full blocking area at the bottom of the net. So really you're taking a four foot high net and turning it into a three foot high net. Right. Immediately. Yeah. 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 They all play on, on their knees. And then their so, pants, right? Their pants, like Ray was well, telling me about pants, their pants the, are just the huge. Their pants are so ballooned. Yeah. I remember I wore Cacla mm-hmm. and it was a very, it was a very tight goalie pant and what it did is it protected you, but it didn't block space. I mean, again, I look back and I'm like, God, we were dumb. We were really <laughs> stupid. You know, because you, you hear right. these stories. You hear these stories now. And I, when, it's funny that you bring it up because we have this camera that shoots right into the doorway of our mm-hmm. our room in Dallas. Okay. And when Harry Lettinen is starting, he comes out and he stands in the little uh, vestibule in front before they walk out to the rink. Right. And there, there's a wall of glass. It's sort of, it's kind of like a mirror. It's enough like a mirror mm-hmm. within there, and you can see, you can see Kari sort of check himself in the mirror before he goes out. And I, I said to one of the people that was in the booth, it, it's the polar opposite to a, a girl heading out on on a date <laughs> or or a night on the town. She looks in the mirror and and she's worried that she looks fat. Yeah. The goalie looks in the mirror and he worries <laughs> that there are holes in his big right. fat gear. Yeah, yeah. On his way out yeah, there, yeah. And it's true. They. They want sure. as much space taken up by just gear so they can get hit. And and that's why I I truly love three-on-three overtime. Yeah. Because even with that gear, when you give the best players on the ice a little bit of time and space, 
they're still going to be able to undress these goaltenders. They'll play. There's no shot blocking, and they have time and space with the puck. And they're going to be able to beat goaltenders with that. The problem when you're playing five-on-five five is with these systems in front of them and their ability to use their gear to just block an area, it's almost impossible to score a goal. Yeah, although I saw a scary statistic the other day. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not because it was Twitter, but like the game, 74% of games ended in three-on-three three in the first month of the season. It was 65 the next month, and now it's 59 or something. Like They're already figuring out this three-on-three. Three. Oh, I shuddered when I saw uh, yeah. it. Yeah. A, a little bit. I, I saw the same thing. And yeah. I, I was like, oh, we had a debate on our broadcast as to whether we thought that was the three-on-three three getting coached up a little bit now, which you know is going to happen as it, as it yeah. goes along. Yeah. Or if the reason it is is falling off a little bit is if you look at the other percentage, I think the number of games going to overtime is ramping up. Okay. Yeah. So then, so then you bring in what the NHLPA was concerned about, which is fatigue. I mean, yep. there was a stretch there where I think the Stars went to overtime in in like four of six games, and right. I know it's just a small segment of time, but they look tired when they have to go out there, three on three, you know, night after night, you know, four four of six, yeah. and, and you're playing. See- four games in seven days or whatever. That's interesting. I, I think yeah. that's realistic too. Yeah, that's interesting because I was one of those guys when the when the PA shut down the seven-minute thing. Remember, they were going to go four minutes of four. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I was like, come on, stop it. Shut up about being tired. But I you, get it. Yeah, you're a guy. You're, you're closer to it than I am. So there's something to that then. Yeah. There's just too much. There's there's too much overtime. And, and then the other, if we're going to go all statty here, the, uh, the other thing that happens every year is – this is the freewheeling portion of the schedule. Mm-hmm. When you move past uh, January and past the All-Star game and you get into you know February and March, the overtime games go up uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. exponentially. And because you're playing teams that are in your conference, in your division more, mm-hmm. and the games are tighter and nobody wants to get beat in regulation, they want to push it to over, you're going to see more and more of that uh, come spring. Keeping it on the goalies a little bit and talking about the, the Dallas Stars this year, Daryl Ray on the uh, Pulp Hockey podcast. So I think I read somewhere Dallas has the, the highest salary in goaltending uh, in the league this yeah. year with, with Naomi, Antti Naomi, and Kerry Lettinen, um, which is opposite of what a lot of people think you need to do in today's game. But Dallas is, is, is killing it. So Naomi's got 20 starts. Lettinen's got um, a little bit less What's been the who's is Niami been the better guy? Has has Lettinen, uh been better by having a little bit more rest? You feel is this this has worked out clearly? This theory that Jim Neal had. Yeah, I I think it's worked out better than they even anticipated it might uh, in the in the beginning. I mean, they had the luxury of being able to spend a lot of money on that position because they th- their best players really haven't moved into the you know mm-hmm. gargantuan contract right. portion of careers like you know they've got Ben and Sagan at a pretty good number right now they just wrapped up John Klingberg long term at Mm -hmm. a very good number so they have this cap space that they could fix what was their number one problem last year which was depth and goal and uh you know Kari had to have a bounce back year Miami had to have a bit of a bounce back year right the idea was let's have two guys that are pseudo number ones that can feed off of one another, that will get along with one another, and that will hopefully push one another. And that's exactly what's happened. Kari, 
Cardi's been better on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's unbeaten away from home. I think he's won, dating back to last year, he's won like 17 of his last 18 on the road. And uh, Niemi's been probably the better of the two on home ice, but it's been difficult to sort of differentiate between the two of them. I think the reason Niemi's picked up a few more starts, Cardi was out for a bit with a mm-hmm. with a concussion, and, uh, and that prompted them to go with uh, Niemi maybe a little more than they would have, but it feels like a, a true tandem and partnership. And, uh, th- you know, they're probably going to end up winning 20 games each, and this franchise has never had two 20-game win goaltenders. And and th- I know what your next question is going to be because it's a question <laughs> I get from everybody right now, which is, okay, yeah, what happens come playoffs? Yeah, <laughs> who's going to grab this, I right? <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, I have I have no idea. I don't, I don't think they know right, right now what will transpire once they get there. And hopefully, you know, things continue the way they are right now and they are a playoff team. Um, and uh, okay. when Go when ahead. they get there, they'll I, I think they'll probably end up using both of them. I really do. Well, something that people overlook, they always want to talk about the guy grabbing the reins and running with it in playoffs. But, you know, uh, Hasek and Osgood uh, won a cup rotating. I think uh, didn't uh, the, the, the Ducks do it too? Like there can be two guys that carry you through the playoffs, you know, and it doesn't always you, need to be. A, I, think you, yeah. I think you need two guys now. Right. Like, like look at Chicago last year. Okay, let's say Chicago had some guy they had no trust in whatsoever as a backup to Crawford. Yeah. Do they even through Nashville? Yeah, Darling did it for him. Right. Like, like yeah. they don't. And you're right. You nailed it. The same thing happened with, with Anaheim. I think it was Brzezgalov had to step in mm-hmm. and and win a series. Uh, they needed two guys when they won in '07. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it it's a long, arduous, torturous run. And what I I think there's a time within the playoffs where you, you see teams go, okay, we're going with our guy right now, but in the especially in that chaotic opening round and early rounds of the playoffs, mm-hmm. and if you're used to just going with two guys all year long, then why wouldn't you do that? And if you if your number one guy is getting picked apart by uh, one team that you're going to see every two days for two weeks, yep. then it's nice to have option B that can go in there and throw a little wrinkle at them. No doubt. Uh, I don't know how much you get to watch uh, the AHL Stars affiliate. Jack Campbell, 11th overall in 2010. Development kind of stalled a little bit. Is he still in the organization's future? Is he still – how's he playing? And what do you know? Like I said, I don't know how much you get to watch him, but what's the word? Yeah, we have actually pretty good access to him. They're just down the road in, in Cedar Park, and and we get lots of information from the organization on what's going on as long as we ask. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jack – Jack's an interesting. He, he's an interesting prospect in that sometimes he's his own worst enemy because mm-hmm. he wants it so bad and he has a tough time relaxing. And with that, uh, he, he's run into some injuries, and uh, at times he's 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 uh, run into a wall mentally because he he wants to be everything right now. Right. And uh, that sort of stunted his his progress a little bit. He the, the worst was a couple of years ago when he he looked like he was going to be the guy in the American Hockey League, and mm-hmm. then he got hurt and missed the rest of the season. Uh, this year, he was our best goaltender in training camp. Was he and, really? Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yep. And uh, I don't know whether it was as much about him being outstanding or the other two struggling <laughs> a little bit in camp. Yeah. And they, you know, credit to them, they had it. They were all being asked to make a, a little 
technical change under uh, under Jeff Reese as the new goalie coach, mm-hmm. and Jeff deserves a ton of credit around here. Um, but then he broke his hand in in camp and uh, missed the beginning of the season again. So he's he's run into these hurdles. Yeah, I'm sure he looks around at his draft class and is like, okay, everyone else is playing, or a lot of these guys are, and I'm not there. And he. He has to get to a point where he is a dominant guy in the American Hockey League, mm-hmm. and and then make the the jump to this level. You know, Jake Allen did it with the St. Louis Blues. He certainly has the ability to do it with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just hasn't done it yet. Yeah, maybe you can go down and tell him about being a big goaltender and how to do it. <laughs> they've got enough. They've got enough guys. Yeah, um, Jamie Ben uh, taught us again. Of course, uh, uh, Ben was a fifth rounder. Good God, um, I know. And Klingberg was a fifth rounder. I don't. Neil didn't pick Ben. I don't think. But Neil was probably responsible for Klingberg, right, in the fifth round. And these are the type of picks that my Toronto Maple Leafs could never seem to find, can never do, which which also pisses me off. But um, what a what a couple of guys dug up in the draft to just just set your franchise on, right? Like, gee whiz. And I don't know. Like someone, there was a podcast I was listening to the other day. They're like, "Who would you take, Ben or Sagan, if you had to start a team?" I'm like, I don't know. You got them both. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the you know the pick things are always interesting to go back and mm-hmm. and look at. Um, you know, Jamie, Jamie, the knock on him was his skating, and uh, it, you know nobody has an issue with that now, right? But it was back then, and then, you know you end up having a scout or scouts within your group that just keep watching a guy and and they take a flyer on someone. I think for Klingberg, it was, he was big around as a runway model, his, uh, <laughs> his draft year. Yeah. And, and it was just kind of like, there are other guys, and I don't know what this guy's going to turn into. And Klingberg didn't start playing defense until he was 15. So he was, he was probably only a couple of years at the position, right? Uh, his draft year. So the, there was a scout over in, in Sweden. I, his name escapes me now, but, uh, he's responsible for telling them at the draft table, "Hey, this is Pick this, guy. this is a guy yeah. you should probably take." And the same thing uh, with Jamie Ben. Uh, you know, it, it it's those guys that sit there and watch a, an, a particular player mm-hmm. a certain number of times, and they see something in them, and they tell their guys at the table, "I feel very strongly about this guy at this point now," mm-hmm. and uh, and they take them. Uh, and that's you're you're right. Like some teams that you look at that have struggled to build from within. Yeah, I mean anybody can pick a player in the top five to yeah. ten players yeah. in the draft. I mean that's that's not hard. It's trying to find these gems down the list a little bit. That's what made the the Red Wings the Red Wings. Yeah, that's what's been missing at times in the Oiler organization. I mean you can pick first overall, great, yeah, right? But <laughs> you look at their roster the last couple of years. And you're like, there's nobody past the second round that plays for them. Yep. Uh, so it, it's. I hope those scouts got bonuses after <laughs> the fact with both Klingberg and Ben. Yeah, it's they're set up so nicely going forward. And Spezza's Spezza's a nice number two, and he's locked into a, long, a good deal. And the Shuskin, of course, uh, missed last year, but he's coming. He's going to be a talent. You know, yes. he would have went a lot higher. They they say if he, you know, if if everybody was kind of scared of the KHL thing or whatever. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think yeah. if if his name is is Ben Gold from <laughs> right. Western Canada, yeah. uh, he probably goes in the top five. Yeah, and uh, you know the the Sagan and Ben thing. 
I, I mean, I, I looked at it again today after last night's game. Tyler scores two goals last night, and you're like, it's such a luxury to have that. Yeah. You know, that type of impactful uh, change of game center iceman. And then you have, uh, for my money, the best left winger in our sport right now in, in Ben. Yep. And you brought him out there together every night. That, that's a nice little one-two to have. You've seen this this team all year long, and you've been following them for years. Um, and again, this is just from a guy from the couch. But who's a who's a player or players on this team that maybe the media, these podcasts I listen to, that people aren't talking about that are have been huge for the team? Is there a couple guys that stand out for you that maybe you know just have really stepped up their game or are, are you know valuable foot foot soldiers? Well, the the unsung guys are are. Uh are still pretty big names. You, yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> you end up with multiple Stanley Cup winners. You know, Johnny Oduya coming in here, mm-hmm. I, I think, has, has helped as a big toe for a relatively young defense. Uh, Patrick Sharp has come in and been exactly the player that, right. that uh, they needed within their group. I think both of those guys, more so with their demeanor mm-hmm. and their professionalism, have been able to to have this group grow a little bit and maybe relax within games and, and not be as, uh, as so hyper as they have been in past. And, and they, they'd get hyper and they'd get themselves in more trouble mm-hmm. when things weren't going well and you get that, that poise and pedigree in there and, and things get better. I, the, the guy that always comes up is, is uh, Antoine Roussel, uh, you know, who's, he's, he's the best, player on the planet from france uh and (laughs) in his role with the with the stars he you know he's an energy guy a penalty killer he's got four game-winning goals uh you know which is second in the league which is mind-boggling when you watch antoine every night because he scores every goal i think off his ankle from (laughs) a foot and a half from the goal line sure but he's got four of them and uh you know he he's another guy that adds to it i i just think it's the overall depth Mm-hmm. of this team now that they've they've been able to put together and then add to in the in the summer that that separates them from most teams. Most teams can't match the four lines that they trot out, you know, and, and he Lindy Ruff plays four lines as much talent as he has up top. He plays four lines and, and away they go. So that's a that's a tough question to answer because I right. I don't know that they really have that that guy that's off the radar. If if I was going to if I was just going to pick one if you put me to it. I would probably pick Cody Eakin um, okay. because he, he he sort of touches all parts of the Stars' overall game. He kills penalties, mm-hmm. plays on the second power play unit. Uh, whenever things are not going well with with Ben and Sagan, especially defensively, he'll throw them or throw him at center ice with them, and uh, and away they'll go. So he's he's sort of the under the radar guy that you're looking for. Uh, Jim Neal, obviously, um, former Winnipeg Jet when I was growing up in Winnipeg, and uh, he was uh, people wanted him uh, as a front office guy forever. He was obviously in Detroit, assistant guy for, for, for years and years and years. I think he's turned down jobs here and there. Uh, yeah. The new owner of the Dallas Stars, well, I guess he's not new anymore, Tom Gallardi. Am I got that right? Gallardi? Gallardi. Gallardi. Um, how did he get Jim? How did that work? How did Jim finally say, all right, I want to run my team? Because I, I think he has turned down uh, job offers before, but how did that come about where he was finally pride-free from Detroit to uh, to come down there? 
you're right. I think the the major one that he turned down or the latest one before he took the job in Dallas was Montreal. Uh, and they they have my old roommate there, and they're they're just fine in the general manager <laughs> right, right. Uh, position with the Habs right now. So, uh, but it, the the timing wasn't right family wise. Okay, uh, his wife has has battled cancer for years. Oh, I didn't uh, know. Okay, and, and continues yep. to and and uh, and she was in a better spot now, mm-hmm. and they felt like the time was right to move uh, out of Detroit and move down here. And the guy that, that really orchestrated it was Jim Lights, who was with the Red Wings organization yeah. way back in the day and still has ties to it. And he was with, the, uh, and, he was with Dallas, too, for a while. Then he left, and, right? And, yeah. and yeah. He, was, he was with the Stars for a long time. When they first moved down here, he was the guy that, that put, put together this organization, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, was here for a long time. He left in 08, along with uh, many others, when the franchise itself fell into bankruptcy. And when Tom Gillardi bought the team and was searching for a, a president to come back, uh, you know, he pulled very, various people, and there were lots of good candidates. And ultimately, he decided to go with a guy that knew the market right. and wanted another crack at, at building a winner here again. And that was Jim Lights. And when he got in here very uh, quickly, yep. uh, because of the the man that they had a chance to get, and what it would mean, and obviously you look in hindsight what he's brought. Uh, they pried Jim Nell away from the Detroit Red Wings. He came down, and uh, he has reworked this organization, <laughs> yeah, this, this uh, hockey department, in short order, right? And and built it into the team it is today. Yeah, it's, he's done a great job, man, for sure. And I know for years and years they're like, if, if he's ever going to run a team, blah blah blah, and he never would, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's he's done. I, I think he's done some uh, amazing things with with uh, peddling some prospects that mm-hmm. were already here and and reshaping the roster that way. Uh, but you have to have those you have to have those prospects in or, in order to yeah. to move as well. And uh, you know the the predecessors. We're able to stockpile some pretty good players, <clears throat> and then he brought uh, Joe McDonnell from Detroit with him, and and Joe's going to, you know, he's responsible for a lot of what went on with their amateur draft mm-hmm. in Detroit, and uh, he's now running the Stars draft down here. So you know, you couple those two, three, yep. four people together, and and you have an outstanding hockey department. And that's what they have here in Dallas. And it seems like the fans are coming back. I was there uh, last year for the Flames, I think, or maybe it was the year before, but uh, had some time off while I was on the road. And it seems like attendance is back to where where it kind of needs to be, or climbing anyways, right? Fans are getting on board in a, in a tough market. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. You know, they, I think the first thing, but even before the hockey team was rearranged and, and built to the, what they wanted it to be right now mm-hmm. on the ice, the the hirings off the ice and in the business department and restructuring that side, which was a disaster, you know, again, three years in bankruptcy will, right. will gut anybody's organization and marketing departments and sure. uh, corporate sales and all those things and ticket sales. And uh, I think that the combination of really, really good, I mean, outstanding people on that side of the business mm-hmm. and then having some, uh, an exciting team and, and something that, you know, fans here in Dallas can wrap their minds around a little bit. There, it's a it's a market down here that if you're if they think you're going to be good 
or you are good Mm -hmm. and it's the sexy place to be, they'll come out in droves. And I I think that that's a big part of this resurgence, resurgence of the organization, not just the old school fans that have stuck with us for two decades, Mm -hmm. but you you could see the, the, a lot of our fan base get turned over. And then you have some, you know, very appealing young athletes uh, that play well and, and, win most of the time and you're going to put butts in seats and that's what they're doing right now yeah no doubt um when you covered the cup team the cup team era 99 98 99 2000 that must have been great hitchcock hull balfour modano the hatcher brothers that must have been pure entertainment every day it, oh it was <laughs> hull and hitchcock yelling at each other oh yes i can i'll never forget the the practice when uh, Hitch was trying to get it through. His okay, so team is that, this true? Is this a true story? I know what you're what? going. I think with this, where where he threw the puck in the corner. So this is true. Yes. This is true. Well, you know the story. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was a myth or not. Oh, you I know, sat there, I sat there and watched it. Okay, finish the line yeah. rushes. Right. And Holly wanted to make his point, and every time he got the puck on line rushes, he just flipped it into the corner. <laughs> and and then they they got in another uh, you know mm-hmm. heated argument on the ice. Mm-hmm about what was going on and and holly was going to stick to his guns of course and just said well you said goals didn't matter goals don't matter <laughs> and into the corner it went and into the corner it went so it was uh i wouldn't say it was daily but it was right. it was it was pretty regular that <laughs> both sides i mean there were there right. were never dull days oh, they were I a bet. phenomenal team yep. it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning about uh, you know, teams and and how they play and and different pieces and mm-hmm. and different styles within your, your your own roster and and that's what they had back then. They they literally could win a game any shape way shape or right. form. Um, you know, they were tough enough to handle that. They were skilled enough to handle that. They were defensive enough. They were offensive enough. They had great goaltending. They had all these characters. Yeah, they, they were like good. It. Yeah. You know, there, there, and there was not a lot of competition for uh, the sports world in Dallas at that time. The Cowboys had finished their runs of winning uh, uh, Super Bowls, mm-hmm. and they were sort of on the, you know, they were busy in litigation more than they were in moving the chains on on the field. Mm-hmm. The Mavericks were deemed the worst sports franchise in North America. Yeah, pre-Cuban uh, the days. Yeah. Were not yeah. very good, and when they did make. The postseason, they just got pumped by the Yankees. <laughs> so right. you know, they sort of dominated, and and that's what Dallas Stars hockey, if you want to put it in quotations, was built on. Was mm-hmm. was that group who were uh, easily uh, appreciated by our fan base? Mm-hmm. You know, rugged, uh, you know, character, funny guys, lots of talent, big brand names. Uh, you know, everybody was good on in, in the media. They were terrific uh, in mm-hmm. the arena. Dude, those were good times. Modano skating around, the hair out the back, just rifling. Oh, slow. things popping oh. in behind, and um. you know, Hitch trying to turn him into uh, something that he had never been before. <laughs> right, and, right. And him pushing back at that, and Gary uh. Lett was the best two-way player on the planet. Yeah. And Sergei Zubov was the best defenseman that would never win a Norris. And, uh, uh, you know, and then they had the Mike Keens and the Brian Scrudlins and the you know, it was yeah. Have Matt Vichuk and Hatcher that would cut people in half in front of the net. <laughs> right. like it was yeah. it was good times. There's there's I, a lot of different, a lot of different levels, a lot of different uh, 
levels to that onion back in the oh, late nineties. I love that that story is true. Throws it in the it corner. Is. I love it. I, I, I've read it, oh, but yeah. I didn't know, you know. But yeah. oh, goals man. don't matter, Hitch. Here, here we go. Oh, yeah, man. Him doing that, you had Belfour. Yeah, how was, how was Eddie to deal with? Game and, uh, Eddie? How was he to deal I with? I loved Eddie. Was he good? Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he was, he was just extremely particular mm-hmm. about how he prepared for games, both his body and his equipment. Right. And, and but uh, you know he was fiercely competitive. You were think about who he outdueled, and he outdueled uh, Patrick Waugh and Dominic Hasek in '99. Yeah, yeah, and head to head. As a Leaf fan, he was you know Quinn. I don't think Pat Quinn was really concerned about a defensive structure system, and I saw him win many many games on his own. Phenomenal for those few years until yeah, the lockout. He, yeah, yeah. There were times. There were times when. This team wasn't very good mm-hmm. uh, in the late '90s, and Eddie just refused to lose. He had that about him. Now he had some. He also had some zany quirks uh, about him too, but that's what made it so interesting. And and he was well, he was a goalie. That that's that's sort of that generation of goaltenders. They they had to be just a tad bit off in in some areas in order to be really on when they had to be on. And then. Um... Well, you were saying about getting pulled too. So, what was that story? He just would he just lose it or with Eddie? Yeah, you said you were starting. Oh, there was oh there was drama. We went out to Boston. I think it ended up being Marty Turco's first start. Um, and Eddie got in a in a, yet another row with Hitch over something, <laughs> and he just left. He just left. And, you know there was yeah. yeah, and there at that time there was already a little bit of friction. Mm-hmm. You know because you had this newcomer. Yep. Uh, coming into the fold in, in Turco, and, and you had Eddie, uh, you know, and, and all the things that, that he needed, and and he wasn't getting the the same support from the coach that he felt he needed. Mm-hmm. Who knows how deep it went? But anyway, right. they got in. They got into it in the morning. He left. He went back to Dallas. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Turco had to start, and I think I think Turco shut him out that night in Boston. Well, and so, then I heard Turco passed it up, and and uh, you know went on with the rest of the season in that, and finished up, and I believe after that year is when he ended up in Toronto. Yeah, I heard Turco one time saying that uh, Eddie wasn't a great mentor. He was very angry that anybody no, well, wanted they him were, there. <laughs> they were so they were so different, right. and, and Eddie was very territorial. Right, right. Um, you know, he just. He just was, and and uh, he he deserved the respect that he mm-hmm. thought he deserved. He really did. So getting on to your career a little bit, uh, Daryl Ray on the Pulp Hockey Podcast, so it won't keep you too much longer. Um, how was – so you get drafted by the Oilers, uh, 42nd overall. Uh, at the time, Moog is there, Fuhr is there, then Moog's shipped out. You're battling for the backup spot. Billy Ranford was in there somewhere in that era. But how was Fuhr with you as a starter backup guy? Well, he was great. I mean, it was, it was a, I would never, I always say this, I would never trade in uh, those, those years uh, of being in the order organization at that time, even though if I'd have been d- drafted somewhere else, I probably would have had a much better chance to For sure. play with that team. You know, maybe yeah. not immediately, but more yeah. so than when you have two, you know, you had two all-stars uh, and, you know, future Mm-hmm. 300 game winners in front of you and they were in their early 20s so it was 
you know, it was sort of an impossible yeah, absolutely. spot yeah. to get drafted in. But at the same time, I, you know, I was there for 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 the Cups as you know a uh, you know a very distant member of the overall group. Mm-hmm. And the one year that I I was there pretty much full time was uh, the year that Andy had had enough and wanted to get paid and went to the Olympic team and then eventually got traded to uh, Boston and carried on there. But um, you know Grant was Grant was a terrific partner, but he, again he was. He was young and playing every night. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Was just, I was just his caddy. Dude, and he could play and, uh, every night. Like in St. Louis the one year where he almost played every year. Like he could play. There's no injuries. Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> no. And, I mean, I don't know that people have enough full appreciation of just how good Grant Fuhrer was mm-hmm. because of how cavalier the Oilers could be defensively. Right. You know, they were way more interested in the other team's net than they were their own. <laughs> and there would be Grant back there. The, he's the best goaltender I think I've ever come across when it didn't really matter how many goals had gone in. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some guys, it could be it could be 6-6, six, six, uh, or it could be 1-1. One, one. Yeah. And Grant, when the game was on the line, was never going to give the other team the seventh or the second goal, whichever one it was going to be. Right. Now, Within there, there were some. <laughs> there might have been a goal or two where you're just kind of like, "What?" Yeah. But but the competitive uh, juice is when it was really on, uh, really kicked in. Like even look at that '87 Canada Cup. I was just going to um, say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that. That was that was the. I remember that training camp because I was sort of the guy in in Oilers camp because Andy was holding out and Grant was with Team Canada. Right. And we'd watch those games. Like he was. He was excellent in every one of those games, and all three games were six five. Yeah, he led in sixteen goals in three games and was yeah, phenomenal. It was great, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so, no, yeah, I just watched was, it. I just watched that the other day. I, yeah, about, I, about a month or so ago. I put, money, yeah. For my money, to this day, I think that's the that's the greatest hockey series that that I've witnessed were those three games. When you did you would you back him up all all year in '88, or was Ranford also backing him up, or was were you there for well, the Ranford whole? Came in, Ranford came in in that deal with uh, with, with that Moog, but uh, um, did you back him up? Boston, or was it, it was late in the year. Okay, I was there for 68, 68 games, okay. something like that. And in, um, in, you in, know, and Grant played every night. And I, I was ready to. I felt like I was really ready to go. Yeah. At, after training camp. And then I just didn't play. Like they just, I never played. Yeah. And uh, that's why I, I can feel for guys now when they don't, you don't play as a goaltender for, for a week. It's tough. And then it goes to ten days, and then it's two weeks, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's three weeks, and then you have to go in there. Um, and again, you know, you're, it, you're with the Oilers, who aren't exactly Ken Hitchcock's teams. Like they're. No, they're yeah. not buckled down. Uh, <laughs> right. They could outscore my goaltending, though. I guess is the good way of looking at it, but. Um, you know, it was a great experience just being around them, learned a lot, good people, um, you know, and then moved on to, to Hartford after that and really turned into a, uh, I felt like I turned into a, a very good goaltender when I was in the uh, Whalers organization, more so than just sort of fending for yourself mm-hmm. when you're when you're with Edmonton. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, can, I can remember we're, at one point we were talking about goalie coaches. There were no goalie coaches back then, really, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it was like you just figured it out on your own, and and Grant was 
excellent at figuring it out on his own. Yeah. He yeah. was sensational. Yeah, phenomenal. I know um, one thing I want to talk to you about was I grew up with a huge Hartford Whaler fan in Winnipeg. And when you got hurt, now I, my memory isn't, isn't – In Winnipeg. You, oh, you got hurt in Winnipeg? Yeah. Yeah. Right the Queen. Okay, so my buddy was devastated because I think you had gone on a bit of a run and seized the – maybe it was Kay Whitmore yeah. or Sidorkowicz. Like, you were kind of playing really well, and then you got cut, and my buddy was crushed. He's like, oh. He was he was on the Dale Ray bandwagon. He was very impressed yeah. with your tending. <laughs> yeah, it was – I mean, it was it was kind of a meandering uh, way I got to that point, and then it just all ended, but – um, you know, there was a high draft pick with Edmonton that never really mm-hmm. worked out, panned out there, you know, no blame or whatever. It right. never did. I blame myself more than I would anything within the organization. Went over, played in Finland for a little bit, which was a great experience one year. They actually loaned me out in Edmonton to. Oh, so you to, were, under, uh, you were still, on, oh, you're still in a contract with Edmonton. I thought you were just yeah, fed was, up. Okay. I just, it was like, I'm not. I'm not going to the minors again. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed some different challenge other than that. Right. And, uh, you know, it was, that was a challenge, uh, but it was great. You know, it was great hockey and I enjoyed it. We played Solani's team in the, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he lit me up as I think a 17 old or something. Jeez. And then, and then I, uh, ended up signing with, uh, with Hartford and, you know, played, for their minor league team, which was they were horrific. We were one of the, I think, one of the worst American hockey league teams ever. Right. But it was great experience. And what, what I got to do is I got to finally work with a goalie coach, and uh, it was really the, you know, one of the first times I'd ever, well, certainly the first time I had one regularly yeah. like that. Yeah. Six, year, six years Ron, into your pro career. Yeah. Six years well, in. Doc right. Ron was the guy who was with Marty Brodeur for almost the duration mm-hmm. in uh, New Jersey. And I had him in, in, uh, in Hartford and in Binghamton. Okay. And he, he changed, he changed my style and changed my uh, career to a point where when I got called up after that first year in Binghamton, we played Boston in the first round and, and uh, Sidork Whitson Cave Whitmore were the goaltenders. And I prayed that they would start me. <laughs> just because i i at that point i was just like i have got this down you're ready and if if you play me we we will beat the boston bruins and you know it 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 never happened it's understandable uh, how it goes the next year in training camp i felt like i i couldn't play better than i did Mm -hmm. and i still got sent down again and i was fine with that they gave me a a, a good contract, a two-way contract, and it was right. like whatever, whatever. Yeah, went down, played for the uh, late great Jim Roberts in Springfield. They had goaltending problems, and they weren't winning. I, I got called up, won a game in New Jersey, got sent right back down again. I remember uh, uh, <laughs> the guys after the game were like, "Thanks for the win. See you later. <laughs> see, <laughs> off, see ya." <laughs> off I went. Kevin Deneen was this uh... way back to the game. He goes, "Thanks for the win. We needed that." Yeah. Would this have been and, Brian Burke? Uh, was it Berkey the GM then, or was this that, was Berkey the GM then? No, it was uh, Eddie Johnson. Oh, Eddie Johnson. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, so then they sorted some things out, and and for the good of uh, Kay Whitmore, who's a great was a great young goaltender. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he went down, and and I went up, and uh, that year they won the American Hockey League championship with him, 
And then, it, you know, it was the best thing for his career to go yeah, down sure. and do that. And at that point, it was the right thing for Daryl Ray to go up because I, I felt I'd earned it. Got up there, got, you're right, got on a, got on a roll, yep. a roll, if you can call it that. And then that night, right in the middle of the game in Winnipeg, uh, made a save on Dave McIlwain. Oh, yeah. A very routine mid-game mm-hmm. save and tore the hamstring off the bone in the back. Jeez. Okay. And uh, that was it. They packed me off. It was the most pain I think I've ever experienced yeah. in an injury in a game. They drugged me up and uh, put me in first class on a plane and shipped me back to Hartford. And they went on – they were on a road trip. I forget where mm-hmm. they went after that. I think maybe Minnesota. And that was it. That was the that was the last Dead, time I yeah. booted up in the league. Yeah, we're not talking a strain. We're talking ripping it off, which is yeah, gnarly. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was close. Um, and and you know it it healed sort of, but never really after that. And uh, you know it just you can just get the writing on the wall and my sure. energy to go up through that again. Um, I banged around for a little bit, but I already had pretty much made my mind up that I was going to move on and get into broadcasting, and it was probably a good decision. Well, you crushed my buddy Will. Yeah, he was bombed, for sure. Tell Will I'm sorry. <laughs> blame it on Dave McElwain. Right, blame it on McElwain. He's probably traded one of the 19 times he was traded. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was uh, one of those things, like you said, and, and it's one of those, like with a guy like you, like you said, if you'd been drafted, because you look at your, you were drafted ahead of Patrick Waugh and a bunch of guys. You were, you know, not not a forty second overall is is legit draft position. You go to a different organization, you get to play some more. You, yeah, I, you know, I mean, one of those things. I know. Like yeah. I looked around and and you know it was like, uh, uh, Day got picked by Detroit. Detroit right. was bad back then, and I'm like, you know what, I would have played in Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and would have had a great uh, crack at it. I, how good I would have been, I don't know. You know, right. would it have worked out or whatever? Well, but, but to get an up close uh, seat to those to the last great dynasty yeah. team, maybe the greatest team ever, uh, is pretty cool too. So, and it was one of know, the, whatever, whatever. It was one of the cups too that uh, maybe the most impressive one because I think Wayne was hurt. Um, it was the it was the year Calgary was great, and then. Uh, Oilers, you guys swept them. Wayne had that goal, the shorthanded goal. Oh, the you know, goal ever. Right. Like it was uh, one of those cups where you're just like, man, these guys, you can just never count them out. But how was uh, um, in the room? I've done a few of these now with different guys, and, and they, they have nothing but great things to say about Wayne. But you're a backup goalie. You're you're playing six, seven, eight games. Fear's got the net. How are these guys treating you? How, I mean, was it great? Or are they just class dudes? Or, you know? They're. Oh, they it, they were phenomenal. Yeah, uh, you know they, you know it might have been different behind my back. <laughs> they might have been going. There's no way <laughs> you're putting him in, uh, but uh, t- you know to yeah. me I was included. I right. uh, kept Mo, uh brought me. I lived in a hotel for you know four yeah. months or yeah. whatever, and then uh, Kevin Lowe brought me into his house. And oh, cool. I, I lived with him. We ate our pregame meals at Gretzky's penthouse. <laughs> so, there, you know, I yeah. talk about one of these things is not like the others we go over. <laughs> and it'd be, it'd be Wayne Gretzky, Kevin Lowe, Mark Messier, because Mark lived on the floor below Wayne. Okay. Wayne had the entire penthouse. I think, <laughs> I think Mark had half the floor below right. in downtown Edmonton. And then me. <laughs> and you're just like, hey, what's up? Yeah, eat pregame. I, you know, I'm I'm not playing, but I I'll go and do it just in right. case. And 
uh, away we go. They were, I mean, incredible group to be around and mm-hmm. to watch uh, how they, you know, they were able to, again, outscore yeah. bad periods. And, uh, you know, they evolved as they were going along into a, a better defensive team. They had to be. Uh, you know, people came, people went, but that core was always the same. Uh, Mark was, you could watch up close how, just how good a leader Mark Messier was and Kevin Lowe and others. They were tough, McSorley and McClellan. Uh, they had so many character guys on, on defense. Uh, Charlie Huddy, first and foremost. It right. was, it was pretty neat times. Probably was they tough. Were just, Probably they was... were so much better than, than other teams. I, I don't know if people, Fully can appreciate it now, like with yeah. the parody that's in the league. They, they were so much better than everybody else. <laughs> it was just, well, as a, a Leaf fan, who were they were terrible, right? Um, right. I, I saw it every night on Saturday night, and 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 then or Winnipeg. Well, we got a lot of local Winnipeg games, obviously growing up there, and it was just dummy practice. Just see see you guys later, you know. Um, and also too for a goaltending, you're practicing every day. That's awesome on your self esteem. You just got these dudes well, that, just rifling that, through you. Exactly. That was the thing. Like you, It was bad enough that you weren't playing and you start questioning yourself a little bit that way. Yep. It wasn't exactly a, a confidence builder in practice right. with those guys because they uh, they treated Grant the same way at the other end. It was like, you know, high, hard, score, Ola, whatever. <laughs> That's the way they went about their business, and Grant never, ever complained. Ever. I, I heard he was a terrible practice goalie. Didn't care. Is Grant? that true? Yeah. No. He, okay. No. He cared. No. He tried. No. Uh, he. There were, I remember a practice where it wasn't long. We'd never practiced that long, which was great, mm-hmm. because you you could keep some of your dignity intact. <laughs> uh, but it, it was like 20, 25 minutes uh, some days. Oh, wow. On, yep. Blast through it, and then and then it was over with. And even with all that talent, there were times when you could count uh, the number of goals that Grant let in on on a, a fingerless hand. Oh. you know, like he okay. he would be that good. Um, and then you know, there were times when he was playing every night that he was in there just for a little bit, and then he was he was out of there. And yeah, he, he was saving it for that night. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And then you, as a backup, you're like, hey, I got to impress the coaches. I got to stop all these shots because I want to get a shot. I want to get a chance. And unfortunately, it's against the '88 Oilers, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. You don't. I mean, if if they were ever, uh, and I'm sure they did every day, grading my practices is probably uh, <laughs> reason why I didn't play that much. Right. Well, uh, Daryl Ray, thank you for doing this. I'm so glad that I got to hear that the Brett Hall story was true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I confirmed that for you. Yeah, if you that, got anything out of that? You got that confirmed. I just, I love it. I love it, and I was hoping it was true and not a myth that he did do. Hey, goals don't count. I'm gonna dump in the corner. Goals, goals don't matter. Right, right. right. <laughs> goals don't matter. Oh, that's awesome. That would have been a great team to be around. Like I said, for sure too. And then of course the '88 Oilers. I love those stories. Thank you for doing the uh, the Paul Pocky podcast, Daryl Ray. I, I hope you had a good time. And uh, like I said, great job on the broadcast. You and Strader are doing fantastic and um, an exciting team to watch this year so that's even better and makes your job easier and uh, yeah, like you said I hope they they hope they are successful the Dallas Stars because yeah other teams will copy and then perhaps we can get out of this funk that we're kind of in right now so uh, thanks Daryl I appreciate it well I'm happy to be part of Paul Hockey Nation now we finally did it <laughs> and uh, and sorry Will later we did it right and sorry Will <laughs> sorry Will for 
for hurting my hamstring. So. All right. All right. Thanks, man. See you, bud. Bye.